Can y'all pray for them uh, as they leave Thursday and uh, travel? And it'll be a great, great time uh, for them. We are uh, fortunate. Uh, you know, in, in, we've had different ones come out, come and preach for us this summer. Uh, One Kingdom partners, uh, ambassadors, uh, and and. In July, Trent's coming uh, as a former minister, and Nathan Keene is here as a former minister as well, has come in, preaches down at the church in Leander, Texas. Uh, Austin is a suburb of Leander, and so it's down in that area, and uh, has been there, what did we figure, three and a half years now, going right four years. In, your, in four years, worked with our youth for many several years here. Uh, in fact, some of these guys that were on this stage uh, who worked with uh, and, and so we're glad to have he and his family back uh, with us and his uh, son, my grandson, and, uh, and soon-to-be Emmy Ray will be brought into the world as well sometime in August. So, Mike, pray for Nathan. Uh, you have to excuse David. He counts years by grandchildren now. That's right. So, uh, uh, but, uh, uh, and uh, Dave, I was just thinking what a great Father's Day present to have your son-in-law preach here and a a great blessing for our church family so let's pray father in heaven you uh, amaze us every day we look at your creation and uh, your greatness and we stand in awe but father when we look at your people we're awed even more the way that you raise them up to do great things for the kingdom. And, Father, how you've raised this young man up to preach the word. And I uh, ask your blessings upon him today. Give him wisdom. Give him discernment. Help him to preach with power, enthusiasm, and conviction. The word that he has on his heart that he got from your word by your spirit. Thank, thank you, Father for the opportunities our church family has being blessed by many to open the word and share with us. Give us open hearts to what he has to say today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. I'll tell you what. uh, Isn't it funny how my son gets a bigger introduction than I do? You know? That's what happens when you get Papa up here to give the introduction. So uh, now it's been a great weekend for us. Thank you for for inviting us out. Uh, Perfect timing. Uh, It was my son's uh, two year birthday. And so we got to spend that with uh, our grandparents. I say two year birthday. It's actually in two days. All right. I got the date right. I got it right. I'm still, hey, I've only been a dad for two years today. So this is a special day for me for a few different reasons. One is that uh, I love guest speaking. I know that's weird, but I absolutely love it. Let me tell you why. Because if you like what I have to say, you're welcome. But if you don't like what I have to say, it's all Mike's fault. Right. Blame him. He assigned me the text. And by the way, hey, he assigned me Corinthians. Okay, of all the books of the Bible, all the positive things we could have talked about. The man gave me Corinthians to speak on. Right. Uh, But no, I'm really excited for that. But in all seriousness, it's a special day as well, because it is Father's Day. So to everybody, happy Father's Day. 
And uh, it's special for me because, believe it or not, two years ago on Father's Day, my son was born. And so uh, it, it always just holds a little extra place in my heart um, for me. And so I, I'm, I'm honored to be here with you this morning. But the other reason that it's special is, uh, is because I'm able to preach at a place that I love and, and to a, a people that I love. And, uh, and, and to be back with my forever family. Hey, Jacob, what's up, buddy? Love you, man. And, uh, and, and to be able to preach to my forever family. And uh, you guys don't know what you've meant to us for the years that we were here in ministry and, and since with all the encouragement that you sent our way and the support that you give to us. You mean so much. And uh, one of the things that I, I think about is actually, OK, a few months ago, I, I preached a series at my church uh, called Overflow. And the whole point of the series was to go through Scripture and look at this imagery of a cup through Scripture, right? You know, several of the passages, my cup overflows, right? Jesus in the garden, he says, let this cup pass from me. There's the cup of wrath in the Old Testament that God says he'll pour out when it gets full enough. So this cup is, is seen throughout Scripture. And so the whole point of that series was that we all have a metaphorical cup that we're trying to fill. Every single one of us. And the thing is, is we look to different people and different places, different things to put into our cup, right, to fill us, to give us life. You know, God, Jesus says, I've come to give you life and that life to the full, right? He, he wants to fill you up. And in fact, there's this scripture in Luke that says the good man will bring good things from out of the good stored up in him. And the evil man will bring evil out of the evil stored up within his heart. And then he says, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And it's a powerful thing. And so Jesus, what he's saying, it's, it's all summed up in one phrase. And this is what I shared with my church was, you spill what you fill. In other words, what you put into your heart is what is going to come out in your life, in your actions, in your words, in your deeds. Everything that you do is based on everything that you've put in. That's why it's important, as Paul was talking about this morning in his class, to meditate on the Word of God. That's why it's important to be with your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why what we're doing this morning is so valuable, because you spill what you fill. That's why you can't look at your kids and say, it doesn't matter what music you listen to. It does. Because you spill what you feel. Oh, you can watch that just as long as you know that it's not real. Because if you know it's pretend, then it won't influence you. Sorry, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, you spill what you feel. And the reason that I share all of this is because when I was in that lesson, um, and I was preparing for this and praying over this, this church family kept coming to my mind. Because you filled me for so many years. And uh, for me, as I preach each Sunday and, and have been in ministry now away from this place, what I've noticed is that the things and the phrases and the words and the love that you showed to me has been filling my heart for so many years and now spills out in my ministry in Leander, Texas. And so each Sunday as I preach, I hear things and I go, you know what, that's Mike spilling out from me. You know, Mike taught me that. Uh, 
to, to preach both grace and truth in a healthy balance. You taught me that oftentimes we've whispered grace and shouted truth. Or the flip side, we whisper truth and we shout grace. And, and in reality, we only find a healthy balance that Jesus wants us to find when we preach both grace and and truth. You know, Paul taught me to love people practically and taught me to love people well. And I don't know of a shepherd who loves people as much as you. And your influence in my life has filled me so that now I can spill out in that way. Camp Chioka taught me and filled me that the best is yet to come. Celebrate Recovery here taught me that no matter how broken you think you are, God is greater and there's hope in any circumstance you find yourself in. This church taught me that we are better together as a forever family. And you taught me that most important, just as Paul says in the Corinthian letter we're about to dive into in chapter 15, he says the gospel of Jesus Christ is first importance. And that's why I love WFR. You get it. You get it and you live into it. But the thing that you filled me with the most is to know that we love God. We love others and we share Jesus. And that's powerful. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. This is a special morning for me to be able to, to preach to a place that's filled me for so many years. And so I've been asked to preach on 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And so I'm going to spend time in just a few verses there in this chapter. And, and I was really excited, in, in a, even though I was giving you a hard time, I was really excited about this text. And let me tell you why. I believe that 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is the crux of both letters. Okay? I think it's the theme of both letters found in the few verses we're going to look at. And so let me read these verses to you, and then we'll get into it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I want to start in verse 17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And the old has gone and the new has come. And all this is from God who reconciled us. Everybody say reconciled. He reconciled us to himself through Jesus. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Say ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling. Come on now. Reconciling. The world to himself, uh, you did good, I wasn't wanting that one, in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Yeah. He's committed to us the message of reconciliation. And we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God was making his appeal through us. And we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Man, this is a powerful section of scripture, but Paul, he breaks this outline down in two ways. If Trent was here, he would love it because Paul uses some alliteration. And you know one thing about Trent, he loved that alliteration, right? Uh, you've got the message of reconciliation and the ministry of reconciliation. Now, for context sake, in 1 Corinthians, the whole letter, in my opinion, Paul was trying to drive home one thing. 
the message of reconciliation. He wanted these people to realize it's, it's kind of like our celebrate recovery program, right? The first step is to do what? I've got to admit. I've got to admit that there's something going on. I've got to admit that I am powerless to control the things that are over me. I've got to admit that I struggle because if I can't get through step one, it doesn't matter how efficient I'm going to be on steps two through twelve. It ain't going to work. <laughs> right. And so the first step is to admit. Well, Paul starts in first Corinthians with the message of reconciliation. And his whole purpose is to show Corinth you've got a problem and you need to admit this thing. And he shows that that problem is summed up in one word, division. You guys are so divided. And there's so much sin and there's so much fighting and there's so much bickering. and There's so much ungodliness. You guys are divided. You're not just divided with each other. Man, you're divided from the Lord. And so he starts with this message of reconciliation. So if I was to sum up the entire book of 1 Corinthians, it would be the message. And then 2 Corinthians, I would sum it up. I think that's the theme verse of 2 Corinthians, the ministry of reconciliation. Because step one is I got to admit, but it does me no good if I admit it and don't work on it. And so he writes the second letter to say, guys, yeah, there's division. I'm glad you admit this. Now we got to do something about it. And 2 Corinthians is really focused all on ministry, the ministry of. Of reconciliation. And so that's how I want to outline this lesson this morning. And so I want to start with the message. Now, notice in your text, he doesn't say it's a message of reconciliation. Instead, it's what? The message of reconciliation. What's the message? What message are we talking about? What is the message of reconciliation? You know, there's one verse that just comes to my mind. I love this verse. And it's in first John chapter five, verses 11 through 13. And it says, and this is the testimony. Now, what's a testimony? What's what's a testimony? When you stand up and give your testimony, what is that? I'm telling my story. I'm telling what's happened to me. Right. I'm sharing personally how Jesus has affected my life. It is a story that I share. So when I give my testimony, I'm giving my story. But John says in his gospel, this is the testimony. It's not a story. It's not a good story. This is it. This is the story. And so your ears perk up all of a sudden and you go, okay, I need to listen up to what he's about to tell me because this is it. Now, if you know anything about First John, what's the whole book revolve around? What is the whole letter about? It's grace and it's the love of God. And he, so as he sums up his message on grace, as he sums up the gospel, he says, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son, and he who has the son has life. And he who does not have the son does not have life. And then he goes on and he says, I'm writing this to those of you who believe in the son of God so that you may know, K-N-O-W, know, right? You can know that you have eternal life. You know, Paul says for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Right. And so Paul could stand up before you and hold this microphone and look at you and say, I know that when I leave this place, I will be in heaven with my heavenly father. Now, that's not arrogance. That's confidence in the blood of Jesus to be enough. Thank you, Curtis. I miss you, brother. That's confidence in the blood of Jesus to be enough for us. 
Right. A lot of people, they say, oh, well, I can't have that kind of, of arrogance. I mean, that's just wrong to be. Able... No, 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 no. He says, I'm writing so that you may know that you have eternal life, not when you get there while you're still here. And so let me tell you something. Don't walk out of this room. Don't walk out of the, the auditorium this morning. Don't walk out of White's Ferry Road unless you are absolutely sure that you know where you will be when you pass from this life. Because John says it's possible. Paul says it's possible. And that's not arrogance, folks. That's confidence. That's confidence that Christ is enough even when I am not. That's the story. The, the story is that in spite of who I am, God loves me. And he forgives me. And even more powerfully, he reconciles me. I'll get to that in just a second, but... Um, here's the deal. I, I love to preach on grace, you know. But do you ever struggle to believe that that story can be true for you? I mean, and, and no matter how long you've been a Christian, right, Satan's really good at planting lies. We call them strongholds. I don't know if you sat through David and Paul's class on renewing your mind ever, but there's these strongholds. Satan is so powerful at planting lies within our mind and our heart that we struggle to believe. And one of them for me is that I'm not good enough. That I'm not worthy. I struggle with this. And it really eats me up. And there's some Sundays that I get up and I'll tell you what, a good preacher should always want to preach. That's what I always believed, right? A good, good preacher should always be ready to preach and always want to preach. But if that was the case, I found out really quickly, I'm not a very good preacher. Because there were some days that I didn't want to preach. And it's because Satan is so good at distracting us, isn't he? You know, whenever I was a kid, I was a, a really distracted kid. And uh, I, I guess I still am. And, uh, but but my, I, I would just stare at something. I even got lost one time. I, my family left me because they all said, hey, look, there, look at this bird, I think is what it was. And so I'm like staring at this big old bird. And I don't know how long I stood there. And they all walked off and left me. And I'm just staring at the bird, you know. And so I, I could get that way. I get, in the, I, I get in the zone, right? Like when I play guitar, you know, Avery, right? Like I'll get in this zone and I'm just laser focused. And she'll be like, hey, Nathan, can you? Hey, Nathan, 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 right? And I'm just not listening because I'm in the zone. And so this used to happen with my, my parents. And I have several memories of them literally coming and grabbing my head and turning my head towards them or towards whatever it was because they wanted me to focus on what was in front of me and stop being distracted. You know what? I feel like that's literally what Satan has done in my life at several times. How about you? Literally takes my head and turns it to what he wants. Because here's the deal. The opposite of worship is not sin. The opposite of worship is distraction. And so any time, because see, worship is all about my focus being on the Lord. That's why worship is more than just what we do in here. Any time that your heart and your eyes and your mind is on your Savior, then you're in worship. Right. Worship is not a moment. Worship is a lifestyle. And the opposite of worship is distraction. And so if Satan can distract you by getting you to fall into a sin, then great. But he's just as interested in just shifting your perspective onto something that's good, but still not the best. And he does that for me. And the way he does it is through this lie of saying, Nathan, you're not good enough to do what you do. Who are you in comparison to all these other people? Your life doesn't measure up. Your faith doesn't measure up. And yet you still think that you can speak and lead these people. Now, that's Nathan's story. That's Nathan's struggle. What's yours? 
And so we wrestle with this. And, and, but John, man, he makes the gospel sound so easy, doesn't he? Hey, if you got the son, you've got life. And so I'll preach it that easy to you, but then I'll struggle to believe it when I lay my head down on my pillow at night and I'll start going, man, I struggle with this. And you know why we struggle with this? Because nobody knows you better than you. We, we all do this. If you only knew who I really was, then you would know that that can't be true for me. Man, that gospel, that sounds good for somebody else. But that blood of Jesus couldn't cover somebody like me because you don't know who I am and you don't know what I've done. But you know what? When we start focusing on that, we're taking our eyes off of his story and we're putting it onto ours. And any time we shift our perspective to self, we're setting ourselves up for danger. And so we start saying, man, I'm not good enough. And Jesus, don't you know, can't you just hear him? He says, I know you're not good enough. That's why I came in the first place to do and to be for you who you could not be for yourself. And yet we wrestle. We wrestle. And man, it sounds good in the moment, but it can be hard later this evening. And somebody in here right now knows exactly what I'm talking about. But folks, the good news is that. Your story, yeah, yeah, you messed it up. You're broken. But the blood of Jesus Christ is strong enough to hold your brokenness to the Father. You know, I, I broke my finger uh, a, a long time ago, back when I was in high school. I was playing basketball. Some guy fell on it while I was going for the ball. It was awful. Went to a, a, a hand specialist, and he did an x-ray to see the brokenness. And he came back, and he said, oh, yeah, it, it's, it's not just broken. Your knuckle is shattered. And he held up the x-ray and there was this complete separation of the two bones in my finger. And then on the x-ray, I'll never forget it. There were these little flecks of white. They looked like white dust all over the deal. He said, all of that is pieces of bone. He said, so I did the best I could. I, I can't I can't extend my finger past there and I can't can't make a full fist. So fist bumps are not my thing, you know, uh, <laughs> What happened is, is there was a, a screw that the doctor put in and, and, and the surgeon came in and he worked and he, he, he literally put this metal screw that's still in my finger together. And what it did is it held my brokenness together. And it's still in there today, holding that together. Folks, that's what Jesus did. Colossians says he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And so when you look at yourself and say, I'm broken, when you look at yourself and say, my life is a mess, he looks at you and says, my blood is enough to hold you to the Father. That's reconciliation. That's the message of reconciliation. And you know what? Praise God that it's my message. Now, that's good news. That's the fun part of my message. But let me tell you something else. Here's why I'm saying all this. If that's your message, then what this scripture is saying to the Corinthians, he says, look, even in your mess. And by the way, the Corinthian church was messed up, right? They got a lot of issues. He says, that's even your message. But if it's your message, it has to be your ministry. Now, that's the part we don't like. That's the part the Corinthian church didn't want to hear. 
I'm good in receiving God's grace, but you're telling me I have to give that same measure of grace to somebody else. And he says it's the message of reconciliation. But it's also the ministry of reconciliation. And it would be easier if it was just forgiveness. Okay, it would be easier if it was just forgiveness, if it was just a message of forgiveness. But here's the deal. Christ didn't die to forgive you. Christ died to change you. And a major part of that change is the forgiveness that you receive. But another major part of that is that he wants reconciliation between you and the father. Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2 says that our sin and our iniquity separated us from our God. In other words, there's this gap that we cannot fill ourselves. There's no amount of good that you can do. Church services you can attend. Scripture you can memorize. People that you can help. Communion cups you can take. That's going to fill that gap. And he says your sin created that gap. But the blood of Jesus Christ... Fills that gap. The blood of Jesus, his son, gives us reconciliation. And reconciliation is more powerful than just forgiveness. Because forgiveness, I could do that without ever having a relationship with you. You ever heard a story of, of somebody who was absolutely wronged? And yet they, the, the person, maybe they've been in jail for years. You've heard these kinds of stories. And they come out of jail and they go up to the person that they wronged 16, 17 years ago and they say, I just wanted to let you know I'm sorry. And the person says, it's okay. I forgave you years ago. Because forgiveness doesn't take interaction. Forgiveness is just an action. Reconciliation takes interaction. See, reconciliation is just another level of forgiveness. And so when Paul says that's to be your ministry, it's not just I forgive you. No, 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 no. It's I'm going to mend a broken relationship with you. And that's what Jesus did for us. Right. Aren't you thankful that God doesn't just offer us forgiveness from afar, but that he says through my son, you can be brought back into relationship with me. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to bring you back and take you to be where I am. That's the gospel. That's the message of reconciliation. But he says, hey, if you're going to receive that message, you better be ready to practice that ministry. Now, here's the deal. This is why this is so. Why am I telling you all this? Why is this important? So what? What difference does this message make? Here's why I'm passionate about this. Because our world is so divided right now. And I'm tired of it. I'm tired of seeing people fight. I'm tired of conflict every day. I'm tired of watching the news. I'm not a news guy anyway, so we just turn it off in our house. I'm tired of seeing people that are taking a school shooting and they're turning it into a political debate. I'm tired of seeing people kill. I'm, I'm tired of seeing churches split. You see, it's not just a world problem because we can amen that from afar. No, no, no. Division is finding its way into our churches and people are splitting and churches are splitting over whether or not a church required them to wear a mask or not for a physical virus. We call it our forever family as long as you don't cross this line. And we're really good at drawing lines in the sand. But aren't you thankful that God didn't draw a line in the sand for us? 
Aren't you glad that that's not our story? Because it's really easy to draw the line. But our God says no. It doesn't matter who you are and it doesn't matter what you've done. There is no line that you can cross in which you are too far from my grace to reach you. So why, how dare us draw lines in the sand for our church family? How dare us draw lines in the sand in our marriages? If this was really that important to God. And by the way, you want to know how important reconciliation is to our God? He's, he's in the garden and he's praying, Jesus, the night before the cross. He's about to go into the hardest thing he's ever gone into. And by the way, if, if you think Jesus wanted to go to the cross, think again. The whole subject matter of his prayer is what? Let this cup pass from me. He didn't want to go. But the phrase that we all know is, he says, but it's not my will, but yours be done. But did you know that there's more to his prayer? You see, I, I just believe that what we got there is just like a like a, a snippet of the subject matter of what he was talking about. It wasn't the whole content of his prayer. His prayer involved a lot. In fact, in John 17, we get a peek into that prayer. And what you see is Jesus in his most difficult moment, in the most challenging thing he would ever have to face. He gets down on his knees and he's praying for us. Not himself. And his prayer is that, God, I pray that they will be one just as you and I are one. I pray that they will be brought into complete unity. You see, reconciliation is so important that it was on the mind of the Savior as he was heading to the cross. He didn't pray for your holiness. He didn't pray that you would be a better Christian. He didn't pray that you would be right. He didn't pray for your church attendance. He prayed for your reconciliation. And yet, we're more divided now than we've ever been. So... What is reconciliation and how can I do that? That's the question then. Okay, I get it. I need to do it. It's not going to be easy. And and I admit that. It's not easy. In fact, let me tell you what reconciliation is not. Uh, Reconciliation is not a feeling. Reconciliation is not an emotion. And I say that because whenever you have a broken relationship, it hurts, doesn't it? It's it's so painful. There's a lot of emotions. There's a lot of anger whenever there's conflict between two parties. And so what I'm not saying is, well, just don't be mad. Get over it. No, that's not the message. The message is reconcile. And reconciliation is not a feeling. Reconciliation is a choice. You see, it's a choice just like love and just like forgiveness. You know, we, we make a vow to our partners. What is that? You know, it's nice when your spouse walks in the room and it just, your stomach drops and, and she or he just sweeps you off your feet. And man, it just feels so good. But that's not love. It's not a feeling. Love is a choice. And so you vow to your wife. You say, till death do us part, I choose to be with you. In sickness and in health, in richer or poorer, I am with you. It's a choice. But people say, well, I divorced because we just weren't compatible. 
Compatibility is like the worst word out there. Don't use compatibility in your marriage. Aren't you glad God didn't use the word compatibility in your marriage with him? Right? Because we were not compatible, the Lord and us. And yet in his grace, he chose to forgive you and to reconcile you to himself. And so in your marriages, in your families, you know, somebody in here this morning has ostracized somebody else in their family because they said what they did is unforgivable. I will never speak to them again. Aren't you glad that's not our story? Our story, we sing a song about our story. You remember the old hymn? This is our story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. What's my story? What's the story we're singing? Blessed assurance. You can know that you have eternal life and that you have been reconciled with him because our God didn't draw a line in the sand for you. If reconciliation is our ministry, then it also has to be our message. So reconciliation, man, it's, it's not a feeling. And, and this is powerful. Um, have you ever heard church bells before? You know, I actually had, have been able to ring this, this old church bell. And I got to stand below it and, and, and attached to the bell, which is so high above, right, is a long rope. And you grab the rope and you pull the rope. And when you pull the rope really hard, the bell starts to sway and it begins to ring. And the longer that you pull that rope and the harder that you pull on it, the more that the bell rings. And it gets so loud standing right below that bell that all you can hear is the bell. I mean, somebody standing next to you, they can't even shout for you to hear them because the bell is filling up the area with the noise. Right? And the only way for you to stop the ringing is to let go of the rope. But let me ask you, when you let go of the rope, does the ringing stop instantly? No, because that momentum is still going. And so they're still swaying. And so they're still ringing. But over time, as long as you don't grab that rope again, that bell will die down and that noise will die down. Folks, that, that bell is like our hearts. It's like the emotions. It's like the anger. It's the frustration. I, I'm so angry with what they did to me. I'm so disappointed in them. I'm so hurt by them. I'm not telling you to not be hurt. God has never called you to stop the ringing of the bell. God has called you to let go of the rope. And letting go of the rope is just a choice. You can reconcile today. All you have to do is choose to do it. So if there's somebody that you're sitting on the other side of the room from, if there's some, y'all got two services here, that's a great illustration. You got two services. You got one over there. If there's somebody in there that you just don't want to have anything to do with, you better choose to reconcile today. If there's somebody over here in the other auditorium, I know you're listening right now. If there's somebody sitting in these chairs in this room and you have a broken relationship with, do you know that the only time in scripture God says to not worship me is about reconciliation? You remember that? Do you know that? There's something more important to God than worship and it's reconciliation. In, in Matthew, it's in the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking and he says, hey, if you're offering a gift and you're at the altar and you there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come back and offer your gift. I mean, I would love right now, if you've got something going on with somebody else in this room right now, man, stand, don't, don't even listen to me anymore. You stand up and you fix it now. 
That's what God wants. If there's somebody in your family that you haven't texted, you haven't talked to, you haven't spoken to, you better get your phone out right now and text them and say, I'm still hurt by what happened, but I love you and I forgive you and I hope that you can forgive me. And you begin to mend that thing because here's the deal. That's exactly what God is calling for you to do. He says, I'll take care of the bell. I'll take care of the hurt. I'll take care of the anger. I'll take care of your heart. In John, first John chapter three, he says, and take courage for when your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart. When you feel hurt, God is greater. When you feel depressed, God is greater. When you feel anxious, God is greater. When you're upset with somebody and you just can't get past that brokenness, God is greater. He just wants you to let go of the rope and he'll take care of the ringing of the bell. So my prayer for not just this church, not just my church, is that we as Christians will start living more into unity, that we will live more into reconciliation. I mean, our, our church movement has split over so many different issues, whether church chairs or church pews. or uh, You remember the old argument between PowerPoint screens? I don't know what it was, PowerPoint screens or overhead projectors, I guess, for those of you who are real old. I don't know. We, our movement is split over so much stuff, and, and, and we've got instruments. Sorry, I love you. I love you. I won't mention names. All right. Mike. Here's the deal. This is what I came to say. If you get nothing else, you get this. If reconciliation is your message, it has to be your ministry. And so if you've not been living in this, like, I don't know who you are, but I've got some good news for you. This is a tough message to guest speak on. I'm glad I'm guest speaking on it, though, because I can leave and you don't have to talk to me no more. But here's the deal. Somebody in here has not stepped into the blood of Christ. And from my message for you is that no matter how broken you are, I don't need to know your story and I don't need to know your hurt and I don't need to know your context because I know the story and your story is you're just a character in his story. And this is the testimony That God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. And he who has the son has life. And in Galatians we learn that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus have clothed ourselves with him. And so folks, the water is ready. And if you've not stepped into that reconciling blood of Jesus, you can do that this morning. But for those of you who already have and you've been living into that message, praise God, first of all. And second of all. Start to practice the ministry of reconciliation in your life. Don't walk out of here with a single relationship in your life estranged. Folks, thank you for letting me speak to you this morning. I love you from the bottom of my heart. I know you're just as tired of division as I am, and I'm preaching from a heart of love. So I hope I didn't offend anybody, but if I did, hey, it was the Lord and not me. And and, and blame Mike. I'm going to pray real quick and then we're going to end. God, thank you so much for who you are and thank you for all that you do. God, thank you for your message that gives us hope 
in spite of who we are, in spite of the lives of Satan that tell us we're not good enough, that tell us we don't deserve to be here, that tell us we'll never measure up, that tell us that we're a failure, and yet your blood is enough for even us. And I pray that the one who's hearing this right now and has been so hesitant to take that step into your arms, God, I pray that they will understand the urgency to do that today. You told us that we can know that we have eternal life, and I pray every single person here believes that wholeheartedly. God, I pray for our country. I pray for our churches. I pray for our families. I pray that uh, the division that's running rampant through our culture will not be true for us. God, help us to be in complete unity and to be one just as you and the Father are one. God, I love you, and I thank you so much for Jesus that makes this all possible, and it's in his name I pray, and the church said, The lesson's yours. Think about it. If you need to respond, won't you come as together we stand and sing?